Take your Bibles and turn with me, please, to James chapter 5. And in just a moment, we'll be in verse 13 and following. We continue our sermon series in the book of James. And this is, if you're counting, number 19. We have one more sermon after this out of the book of James, which will make, obviously, 20. And uh, I have enjoyed walking through this book. Back in 2003, 18 years ago, my brother, Ed, was diagnosed with aggressive lung cancer. My mother went out to be with him and to take care of him, and she stayed with him during and after his surgery. And he came home, and uh, he was not going to church, but while my mother was there, she went to a Baptist church, and she talked to the pastor. He was an older man, and she asked him if he would pray for her son, my brother Ed. And uh, Ed had not gotten a good diagnosis. The doctor told him, you've got less than one year to live. And my mother was distraught, and she told the preacher, and he prayed. The next morning, that preacher was knocking on my brother's door at 8.30 in the morning. That's not normally the time that preachers go see people. But he said that God had gotten hold of him during the night and that he was supposed to be here, be there. He told my brother that he himself had uh, faced his own mortality. He shared the gospel with my brother and my brother prayed to receive Christ. My brother would do that again with me six years ago to make sure that he was saved, but he prayed to receive Christ. And uh, after that, I called my brother and read to him from the passage that I'll be preaching from today about healing. My brother, I've told you before, is the smartest person I've ever met. And uh, you might know somebody smarter than him, but I doubt it. He was just absolutely brilliant, off the chart. But when I shared James 5 with him, he said, seems pretty straightforward to me. And I said, would you come to Gardendale and let our staff and let our deacons lay hands on you and pray for you to be healed and anoint you with oil and pray for you to be healed? He said, I sure will. And he came and we prayed for him and I got to baptize my own brother at that time, he went back to the doctor and he was totally healed. All the lung cancer gone. A year later, the doctor examined him and said, I have no explanation for why you're still alive. I didn't think I'd see you again. He said, it's a miracle. 
I officiated my brother's memorial service this past June, but God granted him 18 more years. In our text today, James tells us how God uses prayer. Look with me there in James chapter 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering that he must pray? Is anyone cheerful he is to sing praises? Is anyone among you sick that he must call for the elders of the church? And they are to pray over him. The picture is someone lying down on a sick bed and they're circled around him praying over him. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. If he's committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of one, literally, one righteous man can accomplish much. And then he gives an example of one righteous man. Elijah was a man with a nature like us or ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. God is omnipotent. He is almighty. He is more powerful than you or me or anyone or anything in the entire universe. He's omnipotent. He's also omniscient and all-knowing. God is smarter than you. God is smarter than me. God is smarter than anyone. He's more wise and intelligent than anyone in this universe, including the devil. And God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. The only place God is not is hell. And because he's omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, he's absolutely self-sustaining. That is, he's self-sufficient. That is, he doesn't need us. He doesn't need anything to continue to be God. There is no one like our Lord. No one. And yet, as awesome as he is in all of his grandeur, the Lord allows us, even though he needs nothing, no one, he allows us to serve him. And amazingly, he works sovereignly through redeemed humanity, that is Christians, men and women, boys and girls. When we preach the gospel, when we share the gospel in witnessing, the Lord uses the sharing of our gospel as the means by which he wins people to faith in Christ. More people get saved when we share the gospel than when we don't. Jesus uses our efforts. When we read the Bible, God speaks to us through his word. More people get a word from God if they read the Bible than if they don't. And God uses our prayers to accomplish his will. More People see God move in their lives if they pray than if they don't. And more people get healed when we pray for people to be healed than when we don't. Jesus said in Matthew 6:10, Lord, let your kingdom come, 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And somehow, for some reason, I can't figure out God uses my little bitty prayers in a big way. That's an ocean full of truth that I'm trying to pour into my pint-sized brain. Why in the world would Almighty God want me to pray and why would He accomplish His will through my prayers? All I know is He does. And James is trying to tell us that today. How does God use your prayers? Number one, He uses prayer to comfort our suffering. If you're suffering today, one of the best things you can do is to pray and God will use your prayers to comfort that suffering. Look at verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Literally, he must pray. First century Christians, many of them were suffering. The Romans were taxing them unfairly, disproportionately. The Jews, when they became Christians, the Jews would kick them out of the synagogues and the Jews, when they became Christians, many times their own families would disown them and treat them like a stranger. I had a pastor friend that I knew, and he pastored in West Tennessee. He was Jewish. He became a Christian, and his family totally disowned him, and he never was able to speak to them again. Same thing was going on here. Many of the Jews, when they became a Christian, were losing their jobs simply because they were following Jesus as the Christ. Jesus said, when you're suffering, you must pray. Suffering Christians needed help that only God can give. The Lord's not your last resort. He's your first choice. I love what Mark Batterson says, prayer is the difference between the best you can do and the best God can do. I can't do very much, but God can do anything. I want God to work, and so I'm going to pray. Is anyone among you suffering? He must pray. Paul and Silas were suffering because they shared the gospel. If you read about it in Acts chapter 16, and as they were preaching one day in Philippi, I've been there twice, a demonized woman who was a fortune teller came up and started interrupting Paul while he was preaching. Her content was good. She was saying, these men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Nothing wrong with the content, but she was interrupting the whole time. Now, if you got up and started shouting out John 3.16 and you did it about 20 times, after a while, I'd get tired of it. I'd say, you know, God's talking right now and he's talking through me and he does, God doesn't interrupt himself. <laughs> so Paul got tired of it. And the Bible says, he said, in the name of the Lord Jesus, he talked to it, the demon, come out of her and the demon left her. Demons bow to the name of Jesus. And all of a sudden, when the demon was gone, the owner of the fortune teller was angry because now the source of revenue had evaporated and so they took it to the local officials and Paul and Barnabas were in trouble. We read about in Acts 16, 22 and following, the crowd rose up together against them and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. 
When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, the jailer, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastening their feet in the stocks. And then it says, but about midnight, this is about as sad as a country music song, amen? About midnight, Paul and Silas were what? Say it out loud. Pray. They weren't complaining. They weren't wondering why God wouldn't come through. They were praying. They weren't just praying. They were singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And guess what? Somebody else was listening. God Almighty. And suddenly there came a great earthquake. The foundations of the prison house were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everybody's chains were unfastened. When Paul and Barnabas suffered, they prayed. God heard their prayers, came to their rescue. Now, they'd already been beaten. Why didn't God come to the rescue earlier? I Look, I don't claim to know the mind of God. And some people, when they prayed, the doors weren't open and they went on to be martyred. God moves in mysterious ways. That's not scripture, but it is a scriptural thought. We don't understand the ways of God. That is a scripture. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great are his thoughts, greater than, our, than ours, and his ways are beyond our comprehension. We don't understand God. I don't understand all that he does, but I know this. If I knew everything about everything there is to know, I would agree with him on everything he does. God is a good God. God has a good plan. Even when we go through hard times, we need to pray. God will use prayer to comfort you when you're suffering. King David went through times of suffering, and he's the one that wrote these words. He said that God told him, in Psalm 50, verse 15, call upon me in the day of trouble. How many of you have ever had a day of trouble in your life? Anybody out there? Okay, the ones that didn't raise their hands, just keep living, just keep breathing. Well, thank you, preacher. You're welcome. Call up, and by the way, you've already had them. You just don't want to admit it. Call upon me in the day of trouble. Why? I shall rescue you and you will what? Honor me. He gets all the glory when we go through a tough time and he pulls us through. We give him all the glory. And even if we die, we give him all the glory. Psalm 91, 9 through 15, if you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the most high your shelter, no evil will conquer you. It may come to you, but it won't conquer you. No plague will come near your home. He will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They'll hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You say, well, Donna broke her ankle. Yep, but she didn't fall all the way down the mountain. There was a tree that caught her. She would have gone 50 feet further. God protected her. Then she was tough enough to walk a mile on a broken ankle. Hello. You will trample upon lions and cobras. You'll crush 
fierce lions, serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I'll protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, there it is. When they call on me, that's prayer. I'll answer. I'll be with them in trouble. I'll rescue them. I'll honor them. Have you lost your job? Have you had a devastating diagnosis with your health? Have you lost a loved one to COVID? Or have you got COVID now? Has someone dear to you died recently? Are you having difficulties in your family? What am I supposed to do, Pastor, when I suffer? Pray. Pray. God uses prayers to comfort your suffering. Secondly, God uses your prayer to celebrate our Savior is on the complete other side of the spectrum. Look at the last part of verse 13. Is anyone among you cheerful? He's to sing praises. Euthymeo, you're to be cheerful. You're to be courageous, literally. And you're to sing. When things go wrong, pray. When things go right, praise the Lord. Sing praises. It's the same word used in Ephesians 5.19. Make melody with your heart. And by the way, he didn't say make melody with your voice. He said make melody with your heart. It may not sound that great coming out, but go on and let it come out because it's just expressing your heart. Amen? Some of y'all have quit singing because somebody told you you couldn't sing. <laughs> I'm not interested in how pretty you sing. I just want you to let your heart loose and praise the Lord. You say, well, I can't sing on key. Then sing in the key of Holy Ghost. Amen? <laughs> it's one thing to celebrate in the sunshine. It's another thing to celebrate during a storm. Paul, if you continue to read about Paul, 11 chapters away from Acts 16 and Acts 27, he's on his way to see Nero and to be before the emperor in Rome. And while he's going, his ship that has almost 300 people on it, uh, they get in a big storm and they're at sea so long that it's been so dark and the rain and, the, and all the trouble was going on and they hadn't seen light for days and they gave up. But they better be glad Paul was on that boat because he was praying. Bible says since Neither sun nor stars appeared for many days. This is Acts 27. And no small storm was assailing us. From then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. When they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up in their midst and said, Men, you ought to have followed my advice and not to have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. Yet now I urge you, keep up your courage. Be cheerful. That's the same word used in our text, euthymeo, for there will no, be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For this very night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me saying, don't you be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. They better be glad Paul was on that ship. That's why it stayed afloat. Therefore, Paul says, keep up your courage. Euthymeo, be cheerful. Take courage, men. I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I've been told. Don't you love that? 
Well, when you pray, you think differently, don't you? Everybody else says, there's no hope. But the person who prays says, oh, yes, there is. There's Jesus. There's all the hope we need. God uses your prayers to celebrate our Savior. Some of y'all are letting the world get you down. You watch more news than you read the good news. And you're all distraught. You're all depressed. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to pray. Things happen when you pray that don't happen when you don't pray. Worrying doesn't do any good. Just makes you look older. <laughs> Wears you out. Bogs you down. Displeases God. When should I pray? All the time. Luke 18, 1, one of my favorite verses. Now, Jesus was telling them a parable to show that at all times, everybody say all times. At all times, they ought to pray and not to lose heart. You're either praying or you're losing heart. You're either praying or you're discouraged. You need to pray. Ephesians 5, 19, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody with your heart to the Lord. Of all the people on the earth, we as Christians have more to rejoice about than anybody else. Doesn't matter how much money you make, doesn't matter what kind of house you live in, or what kind of car you drive, what kind of clothes you wear, what kind of school your kid goes to. I want to tell you something. If you know Jesus Christ, you are rich in where it really matters. You have the riches of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You're on your way to heaven. Celebrate. Throw up your hands and give God praise. Don't, don't throw up your hands and say, oh, woe is me and surrender to fear. Throw up your hands and say, my God is on the throne and I'm coming through. I'm coming through. Amen. Celebrate your Savior. That's how God uses prayer. Number three, God uses prayer to conquer our sicknesses. Look at verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? He must call for the elders of the church. They're to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. James said, when you get sick, call upon the elders, elders, presbyteros, the pastors of the church. He said, no, 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 no. Elders aren't pastors. Yes, they are. There's not three offices. There's not pastors, elders, deacons. There are only two. Elders, which are pastors. Deacons, which are servants. Pastors are servants too, but they're different offices. Only two offices. Pastor and deacon. Elders and deacon. A New Testament elder is a pastor it is not a pastor. Excuse me. No, he is a pastor. I'm sorry. <laughs> An elder is not a super deacon on steroids. Now, Bellevue has pastors. We don't call them elders. We call them pastors. I'm the senior pastor. And that just means... I get more mail than the rest of them, all right? 
We have other pastors besides me here at Bellevue. James was the lead pastor, the lead elder at the Church of Jerusalem. There were other pastors along with him. And so you call these pastors and you say, I want you to pray over us. It's the picture of someone, again, who's bedridden. They're praying over the person. They're anointing with oil. Oil does not refer to a medicinal treatment. It's referring to this, a symbolic form of the Holy Spirit. The anointing is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. But there's nothing magical in the oil. It's just a, a, a place where you, you see God moving. And they anoint the sick person with the oil in the name of the Lord, in the name of Jesus. There's no more powerful name than his name. And then the Bible says in verse 15, and the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who's sick and the Lord will raise him up. Prayer was the means that God would use to bring healing to people. Doesn't mean that they don't go to doctors. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Or take medicine. I've been taking medicine for 21 years. Before that, never taken any medicine. There were doctors in the first century. Christians utilized them. But the Christians also relied on the Lord for healing. They used medicine, used doctors, but they also prayed for miracles. I remember in my first church in Lake Dallas, Texas, I was 25 years old. I was preaching, pastoring for the first time. We had a prayer meeting on Wednesday night. Most of the time, it seemed like, over 50% of our requests were people praying, asking for prayer for people who were sick. And so I just finally said, uh, okay, what are we supposed to pray for them? And they gave me that look that only pastors can understand. Well, didn't they teach you that in seminary? That's the look they gave me. Didn't they, don't you, somebody should have taught you that. I said, well, let's, let's explore our options. Do we want to pray for them that God will just comfort them in their sickness? Or do we want to pray for them that God will help them not to be in much pain until they die, or do we want to pray that God will heal them? And then I read to them the text that we just read, James 5, 14 and 15, is anyone among you sick? He must call the elders, the pastor of the church, there to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who's sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Then verse 16, and by the way, in verse 16, I only, in Baptist churches, had heard the last part of it quoted. You'll know the last part, but did you know there's two other parts to it? First part and the middle part. Here's the first part. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. We don't like that because that, that kind of sounds like Catholicism, don't we? We don't want to confess our sins. And then the next one, pray for one another that you may be healed. Oh, that's the charismatics. We don't want that. Oh, we'll take the Baptist part, the last part. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. How many of you know that all of it's in the Bible? Amen. You can't pick and choose what you're going to believe. I call this the Catholic Charismatic Baptist verse. <laughs> but we need all of it, not just one part of it. Bible says to pray in faith for healing. Don't ever forget what I'm about to say to you. It is our job to ask. It is God's job to answer. Say it with me. It is our job to ask. It is God's job to answer. I'm going to ask for healing because the Bible tells me to ask for healing. And then I'm going to leave the results with God. I'm going to take my medicine. I'm going to go to the doctor and I'll tell you why in a minute. But I'm also going to ask God 
And I believe more people get saved when we share the gospel with them than they do when we don't share the gospel. And I believe more people get healed when we pray for them to be healed than if we don't pray for them to be healed. I believe that with all my heart. God uses means. God uses methods. Only God knows his perfect will. But let's pray in faith. I've prayed for sick people to be healed for over 40 years. For 21 years, I've been praying for God to heal me from myasthenia gravis. I was so sick at one time, I couldn't even dress myself. My wife had to help me. I couldn't preach. I could just lay in bed. Well, I'm preaching now. And I still take small doses of medicine. And I do it because my doctor tells me to. But I still every day pray for healing. And I will to the day I die or until I'm healed. But I'm a lot better than I was. And so do I understand any of it? No, I don't. I don't look. I, I don't understand my car. I don't understand. It used to be, listen, Donna had a battery go out. Used to be, I could just go in there, take two little screws out, put the battery. Now, you've got to, you've got to own so much mechanical stuff, you can't even take a battery out of a car anymore. It was absolutely, unbelievably difficult to even think about it. We looked on a video, a YouTube thing, and I said, I ain't doing that. I don't know how to do that, all right? That's what I felt like right there. That's exactly what I felt like. Especially when I paid for it, amen? I don't understand all of this. I'm grateful for doctors. I'm grateful for medicine. Jesus said in Matthew, or Luke 5, 31, Jesus answered and said to them, it's not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are what? Sick. Jesus is fine with medicine. He, he's okay with it. But Jesus in Scripture also tells us to pray for healing. The Bible says God is the Lord, our healer. Exodus 15, 26, if you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God, do what's right in his sight, give ear to his commandments, keep all his, his statutes, I'll put none of these diseases on you which I put on the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am your healer. God uses prayer to conquer our sicknesses. Number four, God uses prayer to cleanse our sins. Very quickly, look at verse 15. And if he has committed sins, they'll be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. Before the elders would anoint them and pray for them to be healed, the sick person needed to repent of any unconfessed, unrepented of sin. You know what we do here at at Bellevue, don't you, at the Lord's Supper? We, we said, don't you just take this because the Bible says if you take it in an unworthy manner, that is with unconfessed sin in your life, you can get sick, okay? I believe that. I, I believe that there are people that get sick because they take the Lord's Supper and they've got unconfessed, unrepented of sin in their life. I believe that. That's what the Bible says. That's why I believe it. And so here he's saying, uh, now listen, you need to pray for one another so that you can be healed and you need to confess your sins. If you've committed sins, you need to, to pray about all that. That's exactly what the Bible says. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. Manasseh was one of the meanest, most wicked people in all of 
Judah's history. He was their king. He killed people. He was a sexual pervert. He was absolutely terrible. He's the reason God said, okay, that's it. That's the, the final straw. I'm not going any farther. I'm taking Judah down. Babylonians are coming. But he repented and God forgave him. Listen to this. When he was in distress, he entreated the Lord his God. He prayed and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. When he prayed to him, he was moved by his entreaty, heard his supplication, brought him again to Jerusalem to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew the Lord was God. If, Man if God will look at me, reason I, I bring up Manasseh, some of y'all are saying, preacher, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how bad I am. God would never heal me. Look at me. If God will forgive Manasseh, God will forgive you if you'll repent. If you'll repent. Amen. Psalm 103 is still in the Bible, verses 1 through 3. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget none of His benefits. And two of those benefits are this, who pardons all of your iniquities. And when He does that, then He heals all of your diseases. God uses prayer to cleanse our sins. And finally, God uses prayer to change our society. I love verse 16. It says, the effective prayer of one righteous person can accomplish much. The effective prayer. It's the word where we get energy. Effective. A prayer of spiritual energy can accomplish much. It doesn't have to be eloquent, but it does have to be energized by the Holy Ghost. That kind of prayer changes our environment. He gives a great example of how the environment was changed back in Elijah's day. This is the day of Jezebel and Ahab, all the prophets being killed, but the greatest prophet in the Old Testament was a man with a nature like ours, the Bible says, and Elijah was, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain on the earth for three years, six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Elijah was just a guy like you, guy like me, God called him, but he prayed. That was the difference. That's what made Elijah different. And that's how you can be a different person. You can pray. If you will pray, God will use you beyond your wildest dreams if you'll pray. This last Thursday, we invited over 50 pastors to come together and we've got uh, the, the, the week, almost two-thirds full now, of two-thirds of the week, every day, people praying over Memphis. We're going to pray over this city. We're going to cry out to God. We're going to pray over this Mid-South area, and we want God to open the windows of heaven, and He only does it when people start praying. And we've got dozens of churches now praying, and we're going to get more until we pray over this city, and we're going to ask God to save a bunch of people, to set a, peop a bunch of people free from sinful strongholds, to help people grow in grace, to heal people, to do whatever He wants to do that would glorify His name. We're going to pray over this city because we believe God changes circumstances and changes society when we pray and seek his face. Amen. Read this verse with me, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Would you read it with me, please? And my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin. And what's the last part? 
heal their land. How many of you think our land needs some healing? Anybody? It's not going to happen unless we pray. Not going to happen unless we pray.